You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Howdy, music fans, and welcome to Modern Musicology. My name is Alan, and I've got my co-host with me, Rob. What's going on? Hey, how are you? And Anthony, how's it going? I am living the dream. Thank you, Alan. Oh, that sounds amazing. All right, so we've got a lot of stuff that we're going to be talking about this week. Um, we've got a couple of tributes that we want to pay to some fallen heroes, and we're going to get into our main topic, which is how old is too old? But first, what have you guys been listening to this week? Anthony, what you been spinning? So there have basically been two things, and I'll talk about the bigger one first. I have been reading Stephen Wilson's autobiography, Limited Edition of One, which <laughs> has led me to listening to an enormous amount of his back catalogue. A lot of Porcupine Tree, a lot of his solo stuff. I've even Very been cool. venturing into No Man, Base Communion, Storm Corrosion, all the wow. little weird side projects that he's done. Um, so really enjoying his back catalogue. Big shout out to the Deadwing album by Porcupine Tree. That's probably seen the heaviest rotation for me. Oh my God, it's so good. It is. It oh is. My God. The other one, which I will let Alan and Rob talk about in a bit more detail, is the new single from Suede. But since I've had my moment with Stephen Wilson, I'll let you guys talk about that. So, <laughs> next. <laughs> Rob, go ahead. Well, I am uh, the person that infuriates the holy hell out of... Uh, radio charts and record label people by still referring to them as suede and not the London suede so that when they want to get chart spins, um, it's driving them all mad, but I'm like, come on, they're called suede. Uh, yeah, there's a new suede record and there's an album, which I knew it was coming. I just didn't think it was coming this quickly. And it's, it's really, really good. I've been listening to that, but I've been piggybacking it with the uh, latest placebo album, uh, which yeah. I've been trying to catch up on a little bit. Um, cause they're kind of cousins. And uh, also, uh, I've been listening to the new record from Mama, who are going to they're just only going to get bigger. Uh, their record is called Household Name, and we'll talk about them in a couple weeks when we talk about women in, in music. But uh, it's a really good summer record, so if you just want a nice summer record. And then also, I know it's coming out soon, but uh, the she, uh, she and Him have an entire album of Brian Wilson covers. And oh, Brian, wow. Wilson, him, uh, Brian Wilson is actually on the album. So, which is pretty great. I don't know how they pulled that off. Apparently, he said, "Hey, I want to be on the album." Um, but the the first single is out called "Darlin," and it's it's surprisingly great. I wasn't sure what to expect, but that's really good too. And um, I just listened to a lot of craft work besides that. So, but that suede yeah. single is just amazing. Yeah, you just saw craft work a couple of yes. nights ago. How was yes, that? I did. Uh, they have not played here in St. Louis since 1974. Uh, it's wow. one of the few times I've been to a concert where um, I paid more attention to the screen behind the band than the band because mm -hmm. it yeah. was in 3D. Um, right. It was kind of a surreal moment because I was looking at my looking from my seat down and everyone was wearing 3D glasses. And I'm like, wow, this is what the 50s were like. But uh, yeah, they were great. There's uh, basically a set of four of them on stage. They have just a ton of visuals behind them in 3D. Um, pretty much everything you expect. Autobahn. 
you know, Trans Europe Express. Uh, a couple things you don't expect thrown into the set as well. Uh, the robots are there. The actual robots. They have robots. And it is, um, yeah, I bought those tickets three years ago. And um, <laughs> yeah, I even forgot where my seats were. Or, or I was yeah. like, how, how do I buy a movie? How do I buy a ticket? Right? Um, and it was great. I mean, they played about uh, 90 minutes, two hours. Um, they closed out with uh, music nonstop. And it was very, it was one of those things you go where there's a bass and it's loud, but it's not too loud. It's not like overpoweringly loud. So yep. old man me like that. And um, the spirit of the record stayed the same, even though they had like sort of a new modern electronic take on them. They all still sounded pretty much close to what they did. And um, yeah. Oh, it was great too. Is when they did uh, Trans Europe Express. Alan, you'll love this. And they talk about going to Berlin and seeing uh, Iggy Pop and David Bowie, when they got to the David Bowie part, the place went crazy. Everybody screamed. Yeah. Oh, Which made awesome. me happy. That made yeah. me feel good. That's cool. They were here a year or so ago, and I did not go see them, and I'm so disappointed. And I hope they come back, because I really want to see this show. It's amazing. It really, I, you know, yeah. I wasn't sure what to expect. I, I did very little, like, pre-planning, because uh, I didn't want to know. And it was just, it was great. Um, it was just a, a big hoot. So how about you, Alan? What have you been listening to this week? Well, I just want to say that Suede single is so good. Oh, my gosh. I was like, I didn't know what to expect, you know, going into it because I haven't heard anything from him in a long time. It was so good. So I highly recommend anybody who hasn't heard that yet. Go listen to it. And another one is um, Alan Parsons has a new single out which it's been, I don't know how many years it's been since the last recording of his came out. And the last one, you know, got some critical panning, but I'm really, really enjoying this new single. Um, it's uh, written by Alan and it's got, uh, on guesting, it's got Tommy Shaw from Styx on vocals and guitar. And it is such a great tune. And uh, Tommy sounds fantastic on it. And it just sounds like that classic Alan Parsons sound. So I think anybody who you know knows all the good old stuff, Eye in the Sky and iRobot and all that stuff, will really enjoy this. So I'm go really out and look for it. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. I completely forgot that was coming out. So thank you for reminding me. Oh yeah, yeah. So if anybody, you know, that, that Alan Parsons throws me back to the era of laser light shows, and I kind of <laughs> see the 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 recent and current um craft work tours as being like the next step from that you know i used to love those stupid laser light shows <laughs> they're making a comeback a lot of planetariums well, are going now that's yeah. awesome and it was, it was just... always alan parsons or dark side of the moon that was like the the two big things that every laser light you know venue made its bank on so so i'm glad that alan parsons has got new stuff to get in on that all right, so we've this was not a good week for uh, aging rock stars. We've had a few folks that have passed on. And Rob, I know there was a couple that you wanted to mention. So why don't you take us on that little journey? Yeah, this has been a particularly rough week um, across the board. So um, first I want to talk about Cathal Coughlin, uh, who's an Irish singer, uh, a huge influence on um, Irish post-punk. 
I know every every week it's a different genre, right? Um, he's a huge figure in Irish post punk and post punk music in general. He was in a really amazingly underrated band called Micro Disney with Sean Hagen, Sean O'Hagan, who used, who later went on to form the High Llamas. Uh, they were great. Then he went on to be in the Fatima Mansions, who in the late '90s were kind of in the at the very dovetailed uh, Britpop, but they made a record, um, you know, blues for Ceausescu uh, about the Romanian dictator and only losers take the bus, which is just really catchy and uh he's later in a band called telenesis or telenus and he just recently put out a solo record last year and an ep this year and just an interesting sort of figure in terms of songwriting because he really made um songwriting kind of a craft in his work and also um just that sort of like swagger that irish music needed that wasn't shane mcgowan you know i mean sort of like um just gave gave it gave it a really big attitude that it needed at that particular time. And the other interesting thing about him is that he was honored in 2019 with a uh, national writing award in Ireland. So he sort of has a reputation of being like this really well-respected Irish singer and songwriter, and not really well known over here. But those records that he made, um, always the micro Disney ones were really catchy and really had some nice pop hooks and is that the Fatima mansions were way more sort of political and tongue-in-cheek. And even uh, even later on with his solo work, that sort of tongue-in-cheek and sense of irony was in there as well. Didn't you know him? Oh, yeah. So uh, the thing about Cathal Coughlin is he was in the Fatima mansions. They played uh, a show at St. Louis um, where they opened up for the band live. And um, I went to that show and saw the Fatima mansions and then left. Um, and I'm outside and he was smoking a cigarette and I said, Hey, what's going on? Not much. Cause I liked your set. And he goes, glad someone did. And then, um, a couple, a couple months later when I was at the CMJ music festival, I saw, I saw the, his, I think it was either CMJ or music seminar. One of those music things I saw him play. And, um, I ended up going out afterwards, bar hopping with a couple friends in Times Square. And I ran into him in a bar in Times Square and, uh, I was talking to him a little bit. I said, oh, I really liked your show. I said, and, I, and I really wanted to talk to him about Micro Disney. He goes, nobody in America talks about Micro Disney. Go ahead. <laughs> so I had I had a couple of whiskeys with him, talked about Micro Disney. I stopped having whiskeys because it's very apparent that you do not try to keep up drinking with Irish musicians. It's just, it's in the manual, right? And just lovely, had a really great sense of humor. I He found me on Facebook um, right when the album came out. His solo album, he goes, oh, hey, are you still on the radio? I have an album. And uh, another guy named Nicholas Clift, who knows um, knew him as well, was working some of his records. So it's sort of this double thing came out. And just really personable, really nice, really pleasant. Uh, you know, obviously a singer-songwriter who is uh, affected by the world around him and uh, wrote about whatever he wanted on his own terms, which I think is, is really good. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad you were able to share a couple of personal stories about him. Yeah. Um, so the other uh, the other big one this week is Andy Fletcher of Depeche Mode, which kind of caught all of us by shock. Uh, I'll get to those that story in a minute. Um, but basically, what's interesting is like literally everybody uh, who was in some sort of a synth band in the late '80s or '90s has paid tribute to him. Everyone from you know Propaganda and Yaz and Soft Cell and the Pet Shop Boys and stuff. And he's got a rip. He had a rip an OMD. Um, had a pretty big reputation. Uh, outside of being a keyboard player for being a really solid business person. Uh, some of the tributes were like, you know, he gave us the best business advice on the music industry that we've ever gotten. Or, you know, 
hey, he, he helped us sort through some stuff with our record contract and stuff. So he kind of has a reputation for doing, uh, for, for being like a business aspect guy of like the business of music and being a performer. Uh, really started to wake up a lot of artists in the post-MTV era about royalties and money and percentages and how much you get on the gate and things like that but also the keyboardist of Depeche Mode. Um, and there's lots of stories about he just stood there and didn't play. And there's lots of stories that, well, he's just the, the band accountant and he just stood around. But, you know, I don't, I don't think you're in a band like Depeche Mode and don't play any instruments. You know, I just, I'm not sure that that's possible without somebody noticing. Um, but I think his legacy with that band is not only, you know, that he's the, one of the founding members and the keyboardist, but also um, that is very much a band that at various times has had two camps, the Martin Gore camp and the Dave Gahan camp. Um, and he's kind of been the in-between guy for both of those when, you know, there were times when things were not necessarily well, and he was kind of the glue that held that band together. Cause he was kind of like the one guy that you could go to in the band that I think seemed like he didn't have an ego. And also he was sort of the one guy in the band who, um, everyone kind of thought of, well, if these guys are having a bad day, I'll go talk to Fletch. Right. That was kind of his role in the band which is a huge deal in the band, right? I mean, it's a pretty big, every every band sort of has the guy that's like the glue. It'll be interesting to see where they go from there. But um, in many ways, they lost their heart and soul with him just because he was very much involved in the day-to-day -day business of Depeche Mode and also turning them into a global phenomenon. Um, the one they said, hey, we need to do a concert film. No one's done concert films in a while. Let's do one, you know. Um, just very, very, very influential person in more ways than you would expect. Um, I saw him very briefly in the limelight in 1992 when I was in New York. They, they, we we just went there clubbing and they kind of showed up. They were in town and they, just, they sort of walk in and it was like, "Ooh, we're Depeche Mode," you know. And um, I was coming out of the bathroom and somebody bumped me. And I hear this, excuse me, in the English voice, like it was Andy Fletcher. He goes, I am very sorry I did that. I, I didn't see you because I spilled some of my drink on me. I said, oh, it's fine. And then I said, hey. And he goes, yes. And I said, have a nice night. He goes, thanks. And that was it. Okay. <laughs> but it was, you know, just, you know, a lot of it took the time to say, excuse me. When, you know, that says something about a person, too, you know. Right, Because right. they don't have to do that. Um, so, yeah, it's been a rough week. And I know you've got one. one well, too, yeah, also. I mean. Also this week, we lost Alan White, who was the drummer of Yes for 50 years. 50 years. That's unbelievable. And, you know, he's mostly known for being that, that solid, you know, backbeat of Yes for so long. But he's, he did so much beyond. I mean, he probably did 40 albums with Yes, live albums and studio albums. It's just amazing. But he, you know, he also was uh, played with uh, John Lennon. He was on uh, Instant Karma. He played on the Imagine album. So every time you hear Imagine played on the radio, which is constant, you're hearing Alan White's drumming. He played on All Things Must Pass with George Harrison. He's he's done so much stuff. He did a number of solo albums. Well, he did one solo album of his own and then uh, played on Chris Squire's solo album as well. And uh, just a great, great dude and a fantastic drummer. Um, Anthony, I know you're a, a Yes fan, too. Uh, what are your thoughts on Alan's playing over the years? 
I I mean, he's been fantastic. Honestly, while I'm into Yes, I always think of Imagine before I think of Yes when I hear his name, despite the fact he had a much longer career with, with Yes than he did for the two or three albums he did with Lennon. Yeah. Um, but for some reason that, you know, on, on Imagine, his drumming's not overly complex, but boy, is it effective. He, You know, yeah. that's one thing. He knew how to uh, kind of pitch it just right. Mm-hmm. Right. So if it was something that required something complex, he would do something complex, but he knew when to pair it back and tone it down. And yeah. I think that's what made him such a good drummer was he could adjust his style to fit the brief. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think in terms of yes, after, um, after Chris Squire passed away, he, I think was the, I don't think he's technically the longest serving. I think that's still Steve Howe, but I think he's played on more albums than Steve Howe. So, um, you know, a huge, yeah. huge loss for the band. Yeah. Once Alan came in the band, he was pretty much there from that point till the very, well, not the band's end, but uh, up to this current tour that they were just about to go on. Alan's had a couple of rough years lately. Uh, you know, he... he Physically, he's just not up to the demands of touring, but he still toured. And they had a they had a touring drummer for the band, and Alan would sort of play along with them. And it was just heartbreaking to see. Mm-hmm. And they were just about to go on this new tour uh, the, for the 50th anniversary of the Close to the Edge album, which also is basically the 50th anniversary of Alan's time in the band. And... Uh, he just announced that he was not going to be going on the tour because of medical reasons. And then like days later had passed away. So that's just, that's just really sad, but a solid, solid player. I've been a huge fan of his for a long time. Uh, You know, the standouts are things like ritual and gates of delirium and release release and that stuff. But then, you know, when you think about that in terms of like, imagine, and then the transition that yes made into the stuff like owner of a lonely heart. He's such a versatile player and um, it's going to be, it's going to be tough listening to yes albums without both him and Chris. They were an amazing uh, rhythm section and just added so much depth and dimension to their sound. So huge loss. Completely yeah, I, agree. I can't even imagine playing drums for 50 years and still having hands function. I, I, just, I mean, that's just the wear and tear to do that. It's just phenomenal. Yeah. All right. So we're going to take a quick break. We are going to listen to an ad for one of the other podcasts on our network. And then we'll be back here in 30 seconds to talk about our main topic. At the 42 cast, we want to bring you everything. And that's why we've jam packed the next few months with as much as we can. You not only get the same reviews, topics, and interviews that you did before, you also get screen reads where we compare a movie to its source material, or role models where we talk about tabletop gaming. It's never been a more exciting time to check out our show. It's your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything, so why not check it out? We can be found on most podcasting platforms, and we are a proud member of the ESO Network. And welcome back. And we are moving into our main topic this week, which, as Alan mentioned at the beginning of the show, is how old is too old? And I think we've 
skirted around this topic on previous weeks, but we've kind of touched on it. But now we want to really do a deep dive, in-depth discussion of it. What I think really prompted us having some initial conversations around this was seeing the video footage from the last Genesis tour where, sadly, Phil Collins just didn't look like he was up to the job anymore. Uh, his physical health had clearly taken a toll. And for some of us who've been long-term Genesis fans, you know, it was the, it was sad to see. And personally, I would rather have them not do another tour than to see that. But on the flip side, you have some bands that are going strong in their late 70s, early 80s. The Rolling Stones really come to mind with that. They are just the machine that will never stop. Right. And then we have a third grouping. And that third grouping is the bands who've realized their limits and have decided to call it a day. Black Sabbath being one. You're seeing Kiss coming to that as well. So really what we want to do this episode is just kind of have a, a round table discussion between the three of us on this topic and really kind of take a deep dive into when when should a band say you know what maybe it's time for us to call it a day so alan i know you're a huge kiss fan should we start off with a band that has made that decision to call it a day how what, what are your feelings on that well you, they're an interesting uh subject for this because they can fit in a couple of those categories. You know, they, they are at that point where they have made the decision to, you know, stop, you know, to, to cease the machine. But at the same time, they have done that at least twice before now. And you can make the argument that it should have happened before now. So uh, in their most recent statement, uh, they have talked about this being their final tour. So this this final tour was intended to be a three year trek to every basically every area of the globe that they have been big in their entire career. And um, it got postponed a bit by COVID, of course, as everything else did. Um, but so now they're on the, the last leg of that of this final tour. And uh, there was a new interview that just came out where Gene Simmons said that they are leaving because of a, a sense of self-respect and out of love for the fans. So have they not respected themselves before now? Did they not love their fans before now? You know, they, I, th I really think that they have gone past their sell-by date. I think that they, Paul does not have the voice for this anymore. They don't have the stage presence that they used to have. Um, you know, uh, they have two younger members, uh, Eric Singer and Tommy Thayer, who do a phenomenal job and uh, make the band sound great. Um, I don't know. It's just maybe this should have ended before now. I just don't know. It's just not the same for me. You know, and they're talking about in, in that interview, Gene was saying, you know, you see bands who stay too long and they can't remember lyrics anymore. And, you know, and it's funny that he used that example to me because for two reasons. One, they play the same fucking songs every year. So it's not like they're going to forget the lyrics because that's the only songs they fucking play. They don't ever 
pull out any surprises. They don't ever dive deep into their catalog. It pisses me off. But the other thing is there's been a lot of accusations about them using backing tracks for their live performances in recent tours, which is something that they've always been so against. And, uh, you know, there's just been video evidence of things that you see on stage that don't quite line up with what you hear in the audio. And if that's the case, then they need to get the fuck off the stage. I'm sorry. Which I have there zero the tolerance. Of, doing, of course. What's it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. So that's my take on that situation. Rob, are there any highlights for you of bands that either frankly should just get off the stage or anyone you particularly want to applaud for still having it despite advancing years? Okay, so this is really precarious. Um, my, my All first of these one, are, I think. No, 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 no. My first one is that I saw Johnny Cash right before the first Ooh. American Recordings album came out. Um, and he had June with him. And... Um, it was amazing. It was simply the single greatest night of music I've ever experienced in my entire life. Wow. Um, because he came out, he was old, you know, he's like, hello, I'm John. And you hear that and you know, you get the, you get the hair on the back of your neck and he was very, you could tell he was very much ravaged by age and some form of illness. Right. Um, but when he came out with his band and, and a couple members of his original band were still alive at that time. And they, it was very careful. You could tell it was very like, okay, this is the limits of what he can do. This is what he's going to do. June was with him. It was amazing. He never seemed off of form. You know, it was just acknowledging that I'm a legacy artist, but I'm older. Right. And the audience seemed to go with it. So it was like, you didn't feel like you were seeing somebody past his prime. Right. It was simply amazing, right? And I've seen, you know, uh, in the last couple of months, I've seen Kraftwerk and Sparks, who are both older, that have been live and amazing, right? Mm -hmm. But also very carefully orchestrated in what they do live and how they prepare their shows to compensate for the fact they can't do what they do. And OMD as well. Um, right now, the Pet Shop Boys are touring England, and they're who are both in their 60s. And that, that show's getting, like, crazy reviews everywhere. So it can be done. Um, I will say that I did see, I saw Glenn, uh, Glenn Campbell a couple times and, um, the last time I saw him was on his farewell tour and he had at that point been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. He had his, his family with him and his band with him. And it was very clear. He had, you know, the set lists were everywhere. He had a monitor with the lyrics, right. That you couldn't see, but you, you knew that's what it was. It was like, and it was just obvious that he had people handling him and making sure and it was very loving and it was very warm and it was like we want to make sure we send this guy off into the sunset on a positive note right but at the same time it was absolutely heartbreaking watching this guy who has played on so many records right I mean, it's a duality because you see him play music and he's so overjoyed and he's so happy and he's feeling this love Right. That aspect of it's great. But the downside of it is that, you know, this is it. And he doesn't have it completely. And there is a very fine line. I think like you mentioned, mentioned Anthony with Phil Collins, where you just sort of at what point do you stop being a fan and want to be a concerned human being and just say, I'm not sure I want to watch this. Right. Um, so it was very 
you know, I, I left that show really glad that I saw him. And musically, it was, you know, it wasn't a bad concert or anything. But um, I, I just left it feeling horribly sad, um, which yeah. is probably not what intended, not intended. Um, well, the, the one other show, too, is uh, the last tour of the Monkees. I was just Nes about to bring that up. With Nesmith and Tork. It was yeah. just absolutely heartbreaking. Well, Mickey and Nesmith. Mickey, yeah, sorry. Uh, absolutely heartbreaking. So, Yeah, I mean, he... He had good nights and he had bad nights. I had friends who went to see that tour uh, three yeah. times. And, um, you know, when he was on, he was great. Um, you know, as far as like being a singer, he didn't have a lot of stage presence. He uh, didn't play, um, which I think this is the first time he's ever done a tour, a monkey's tour where he wasn't playing. Um, and there were times when Mickey had to kind of prompt him a little bit. And... Mm -hmm. And then, like, as soon, like, literally, as soon as the tour was over, he passed away. So, on the one hand, you're like thankful that he had that last experience and the fans had that last time. They didn't know it was going to be the last time they would see him, but you're, you're glad that they got that chance to do that. But, yeah. you know, and, but there's also that other side where it's like, is it, is it the same if you're seeing someone in that condition? You know, it's hard. Yeah. It's so hard, especially when it's someone that you that you care about and love that much. Yeah. What I've very quickly come to the conclusion of is you can't really put something in stone and say once you are yeah. past a certain age, you are too old. Yeah. Uh, I think it's going to be different from for every single artist, but there's probably a set of criteria, right? If you're yeah. a singer, if you can't hit the notes anymore, if you can't stay in tune it's probably time to call it if you're a guitarist and you can't you know physically play anymore it's probably time right same goes for a drummer um i mean yeah especially I, I drummers agree. because it is so physically demanding and yeah. that last tour or two that rush did was hard on neil and uh but you would never know it by seeing them on that especially that final tour. He was unbelievable. God, well, and, and speaking of drummers, look at Black Sabbath, right? They mm. announced their reunion with the original four members and then Bill Ward backed out. And yeah. it turned out what they wanted to do was have him play on the album and then have him play one or two um, songs each show, but have another drummer in there because they felt that physically he wasn't up to it. Right. Uh, right. Candidly, I don't think Sabbath should have reunited that last time. Mm -hmm. Personally, I think Ozzy was past it as well. Mm -hmm. But they mm -hmm. wanted to go out one final time. Sure. And it's hard to it's hard to like deny somebody that, especially performers, you know, where that's first of all been their livelihood, but it's also been their passion. I mean, they are such driven people and yeah. such creative people. And it's you know, when you've had a whole career of being on stage and having that that immediate adoration, that feedback, how do you give that up? Yeah. I mean, how do you stop doing that? And I just can't he, imagine being in that position. And particularly with Ozzy, you know, he tried to retire in 92 and missed it and came back. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I look at that Sabbath tour and Tony Iommi had just... Um, gone into remission from cancer mm. 
and he really just wanted to get out on the road one last time. Dio right. had recently died as well. Right. And I think he kind of took a perspective of it's now or never. Yeah. And I, I, I've seen the footage. I mean, they I think they put on as good a show as they could have, and it could have been a lot worse, um, sure. honestly. Uh, I, I don't think it was as bad as the footage I've seen of the last Genesis tour. Oh, man. <laughs> And that I really want to touch on that because yeah. I saw Genesis when they reunited the previous time in 2007. Yeah. And that was a phenomenal show. You know, all all three of the core members plus the two session musicians were on fire. Yeah. Um, yeah. Phil really still had it. He was hitting the notes. He was getting behind the drums. And now you flash forward um, about, say, 13... 14 15 years and he's restricted to a chair he can't move around stage anymore he can't play the drums yeah. and by his own admission he didn't really rehearse and so he's out there and he's off key out of you know he's not hitting yeah. the notes yeah and it was just sad to watch and as a fan no matter how much he has to pay off in divorce money or what have you I would be mad at paying money to see that. And yeah, but a lot of people did. I mean, those shows, those shows sold really well. I mean, the shows were well attended and yeah. people that went had a great experience with it. So I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's watching footage. Maybe it's that, you know, the camera shows you up closer what's going on. And if you're sitting halfway or toward the back of a, you know, arena, you're not going to be as aware of that kind of thing as much. And you're just enjoying the music and whatever visuals are on the screen. Yeah. So maybe, maybe seeing it in person is a different thing than watching it on YouTube or something. But e even then I compared Genesis to some of their compatriots and admittedly Genesis were trying to go out with a somewhat authentic lineup. I mean, obviously it wasn't the classic five man lineup, but it was the, the core three. But I compared yeah. that to King Crimson. I compare that <laughs> to, to Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, they've had somewhat revolving lineups. Um, I think there's a recognition of when band members are no longer up to it in those bands, with the exception of the core creative influences. I mean, with Crimson, if you're not Robert Fripp, you probably have a relatively limited lifespan in the band <laughs> anyway. Um, but, the, you know, they they generally fare a lot better. And I am, again, basing that on YouTube clips versus... Yeah. what i've seen with genesis yeah yeah and i think that works with these tours when when you have a musician that is in some state of incapacitation i think it works well when they sort of everybody sits down and has a plan right genesis it didn't really work i wasn't sure if there was a way that it could work um it hasn't worked in some other instances but i think it can be done if there is some sort of like pre-plan going forward. And also I think, you know, you have to kind of, I feel like you have to be honest with the fan base. Um, you know, I just think you need to say, yeah. look, you know, this is, this is seeing a band, but it's also because the, the danger is, and this is the, the really horrible downside of this is that there are, there are people that go to this looking to see a freak show, right? 
um, that are like, oh, I'm going to go see him. Oh, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a trainer. There's people that go to that, that feed. I can't that. believe that that's actually true, especially how expensive concerts are these yeah. days. Why would you but shell out that much money? There are, there are people that have copious amounts of money that will go see somebody just to go slag them off, right? I went and saw Joan Jett some, uh, about five years ago, and somebody's like, oh, I'm going to go see Joan Jett. I know she doesn't have it anymore, but I'm going to go. Right. And the whole show, the guy's like, ah, I'm like, Joan Jett still has it. You're just, she's, she's still exactly. great. I don't know. Yeah, I know. No, but there's people that, <laughs> that go to these. I mean, I know I'm, we, there are, we live in a society where people jump to the first negative thing. Right. Or there's people that will go and they're like, well, I can't believe he, he can't sing. I'm like, he's 85 or he's 90 or whatever. Right. right. Um, and I think that, you know, I think that the bands and the artists that sort of have a plan in place, for bowing out like the way neil diamond bowed out for example i thought was just really well done he's like look i can't do this anymore i'm sorry it was very well done i would not want to have seen neil diamond trying to do a show and with that physical demand and try to do it i am fine with letting go um you know of seeing somebody who was like you know an amazing live performer just get you know um, so I think I think you have to take the fans into consideration, but I also think you have to have a plan if you're going to do it. Obviously, in the case of Phil Collins, what I think happened is that the band's like, we love him. We want him to get his due. Let's figure out a way to make it happen. And I just think it was worse than they expected. Well, but at the same time, to a point that you just made a minute ago, they were upfront about it. There yeah. wasn't any yeah. there wasn't any hiding you know, Phil will I, not yeah. be playing. Phil won't be playing drums on this tour. And I, I thought that was really, really nice, really classy, and, and upfront to do. Yeah. yeah. What they weren't upfront about was that Phil decided he wasn't going to rehearse. Well, <laughs> that's a good. Point. Sorry, but <laughs> we've lost Rob. <laughs> Ooh. No, um, I'm just trying to be nice, but okay. Um, I mean, yeah. sorry, but but yeah, I, no, no. I get how do you it. not totally rehearse though? I know. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's and that's probably a thing where he just I, I walked in and said, you know, I mean, if it's me, I wouldn't have even put him on the tour. But I mean, does he just walk in and say, "Oh, I'm not going to rehearse"? I mean, I don't know how you go forward necessarily in that kind of a situation without a plan B. Right. Well, okay. So, but if Tony and Mike want to carry on as Genesis. The only way to do it at that point would be to hire a new front man. And if you have a new front man, do you have the same ticket sales? Do you have the, oh, they're nothing but a cover band of themselves now? Do you have any kind of like, you don't have the same strong bill that you have unless you've got Phil Collins sitting there. Yeah. Unless I, you're I, Van Halen or Journey, probably not. But Well, I, but I you think, can. But I think I in gonna, the case of Genesis, right? You have effectively, you have three lineups. You have the classic two, which is the five-man lineup with Gabriel, the three-man lineup with Phil, and then you have the Ray Wilson lineup, which everyone forgets about. They could except, have said, except us, <laughs> except us. But they could have said, screw it, we're going to go out again, and we're going to take Ray with us because I'm sure I, he I agree. jumped at the chance. But Absolutely. again, I don't think people see Genesis as anything other than either being led by Phil Collins or Peter Gabriel. Right. And versus mm -hmm. again, King Crimson, they could put out whatever singer they want to with that band yeah. as long as Fripp is playing guitar. Yes. Right. Exactly. 
So yes, uh, yes has been a revolving oh door God. for years, and I don't think anyone cares that much these days as to who's. Well, there are a yes. lot of people. There are a lot of people that are if John Anderson, and and it's a lot of times it's the vocalist, it's the front person. Yeah, there are people who are if if John Anderson isn't singing, that it's not real. Yes, they are a shadow. They're a, a cover. And uh, you mentioned Journey, and there are a ton of people who will not see them because Steve Perry is not singing. And, you know, Arnell is a fantastic singer and a great front man, and they sound great with him. And despite the fact that Neil Sean is still there and Jonathan Cain is still there and Ross Valerie is still there most of the time, sometimes, it, it doesn't matter. It's that Steve Perry is not there. Yeah. Even though but Steve Perry can't sing those songs anymore. Right. It makes no so sense. would would the audience in that case rather see Steve Perry butchering those songs? Right. Or would they rather see a fantastic younger, newer singer who can hit the notes? Right. Personally, in that scenario, I would say you either take out the younger singer or you just don't tour. I agree. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, you know, that's and, and where I we get into that's what's too old. Yeah, and I wouldn't mind seeing Kiss adopt that. Have all four of them go out, but have a, a new front guy who basically sings Paul. And Paul can still do his stage banter. You know, the, his, he's so known for the way he chats up a crowd. But have, you know, and even like Eric Singer, their drummer, has a great voice and could sing a lot of those Paul songs if they wanted to. It's just Paul's voice is just not up to the task anymore i think it's time that they christened a new ankh warrior hell yeah <laughs> rob touched on it on what i think is a good point right if you are one of these for one for better term legacy bands and you decide that you have to tour you've got to play to your strengths you've got to arrange your set list with songs you can handle sparks are the a great case in point and you know we didn't really go too heavily on them last episode so we can talk about sparks a little <laughs> this time around but you know those guys are in their mid to late 70s at this point russell knows he probably can't pull off dick around anymore so mm. guess what they didn't play dick mm -hmm. around right you know right. they played some songs that are a bit more in his uh wheelhouse these days now watch me be wrong as next tour they play dick around and he still plays it flawlessly and so well, there you go and he might be i mean there was a video of the of watching him get in shape for the tour right mm -hmm. and you just get exhausted watching it. but it's also a thing where if he knows now he's going to do it again and he preps the voice he may be able to do that right yeah. or it may be a thing where every couple shows on the tour they do it Right. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, I think you just totally have to be prepared and know what your, what your boundaries are. And the thing is now technology has made it easier for this to happen because bands can add visuals. They can add like well, cool lighting. There's lots exactly. of things that they can add to give a show a little more punch. If the I agree. Is... And yeah. Madonna is certainly not past her prime, but she is at the point where she doesn't move around as much on stage. She can't do the, I mean, she's in her what fifties, I guess. She can't do 60s. a lot of. She, okay, she's a, she's a year older than my mom. Oh my, which God. is terrifying. Yeah, but um, you know, she she can't do the dance moves that she did when she was in her twenties, and that's because she's paralyzed from all the Botox she's injected everywhere yeah. in her body. <laughs> but but the her her trick is build an elaborate show around that, 
so you don't have to move, you know? Yeah. So she's still doing her thing. And there's, you know, she's one of the ones that's had a lot of accusations about not singing live on every song and using tracks on certain, on certain songs. And, but you know, if you have more money, she's got more money than anybody on earth. And the more you can build a show to entertain the crowd where you aren't the focus anymore, you know, I think she's been really clever about that. Mm -hmm. And honestly, one of the best shows I ever saw, I saw Mark Knopfler at the uh, Royal Albert Hall about oh, 12 wow. years ago. And he had thrown his back out. Mm. So he played the entire thing sitting on a stool that yeah. swiveled. And, you know, it's Knopfler and he's still able to play the amazing guitar solos, but he's got a great light show to go with it. So <laughs> no one really cared, you know, sure. that he wasn't moving around the stage at all. It, yeah, but you're not going to go see Knopfler for, you know, dance moves or anything like that. Yeah. Well, no, but, you know, some rock musicians will run around the stage and do the oh, guitar yeah. hero poses. Yeah. And Absolutely. I mean, he's never been about that. But, right. you know, I, I think um, the other phenomenon we're seeing is bands will um, will uh, go down. Right. So they'll they'll tune down for their singer. Thank you for bringing that up, because I, I you know, I. We didn't talk about Sparks last week. I don't think we talked about Heart last week. So let me get my heart in. Ann yes. Wilson does not have the vocal range that she used to have. Her She started out amazing in the 70s. She peaked in the 80s. She had the most versatile and acrobatic voice of anyone in rock music. And just a fucking powerhouse. She doesn't have it. She doesn't have that high range anymore. Her voice is scratchy. And I know heart fans get pissed off if you say this stuff, but it's true. And the thing is, she they do not tune down. They don't change the key of their songs. And in fact, I remember, I think it was 2010. Um, I saw them and uh, they played in the middle of the set. They played even it up and it was in a different key. And I thought, holy shit, I have never heard heart detune a song halfway through the song they um it was really kind of cool they segued into give me shelter and then played some give me shelter and then back into uh even it up so they were matching the key of give me shelter and i thought okay well that makes sense now i understand why they did that but it sounded so weird and i just think that there are times when she they need to detune for her voice and they they just don't i mean it's because of her she they won't do it and i just i don't know i think she could yeah. get a lot more mileage out of detuning a little bit uh, and that doesn't just apply to older bands i remember when blaze bailey joined iron maiden yeah who, true he had a much deeper voice than bruce dickinson and right steve harris said we're not detuning you got to try and make this work <laughs> yeah figure and it, it out. did not work right <laughs> Yeah, bringing, bringing that up reminds me of a couple things. Uh, first, you know, when you see David Byrne now, he is a different singer than he was in Talking Heads. Yeah. And it's when you see him live, what well, the first thing you notice is that he decided, okay, I can't hit those notes anymore. So he changed the whole orchestra. Now, now, bear in mind, it's not the original band, but he changed the musical composition of the songs to match his voice in, the, in some of the same way that Al was talking about that Hart did, mm -hmm. but he just sort of just, hey, this is a new riff on this particular version, and it sounds like a different thing. I wish Paul Simon would do that because mm -hmm. it doesn't work. Um, but the B-52s are doing a farewell tour, right? Oh, yeah. 
And one of the reasons why they're not doing uh, any more tours is that they can't hit the notes anymore and they know it. Mm-hmm. And I'm the last couple of times I've seen them, they have, they have also downplayed, right? When they can in a couple songs, like the big hits, like when they do private Idaho or rock lobster, they go full gun on those. And then, uh, and, and love shack. And then when they go outside of that, they pull it in or a little more restrained. And yeah. I just, I remember watching that about 10 years ago, seeing them you know, going, okay, they sort of know where they are with their age versus their voice and their musicianship. And I just always thought that was really interesting to watch do it. Right. Um, that they were, they were just on Jimmy Kimmel like two weeks ago yeah. to, as their, the, the big, like personal appearance to promote this final tour because tickets were going to go on sale like the next day or whatever. And you know, it just wasn't great. And if you're going to come on national television and play love shack and Cindy can't mm-hmm. do the tin roof rusted part anymore. And she just yeah. kind of speaks it instead of doing that whale that she used to do. Yeah. It just doesn't work. And yeah. I, I'm a huge B-52s fan. I yeah. fucking love them. I am. And it was I, hard to hear that not work. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in a place with you on that because I'm thinking about seeing them. But at the same time, yeah. I saw that and I'm like. But at the same time, I'm also. I'm like I saw the damned a couple years ago, and they were perfect, right? Just they get it, right? Yeah. They're touring with Blondie right now, mm. and I am trying to decide whether we want to go because we're going to be in Chicago anyway. Go see Blondie. Yeah. Um. And, you know, my one friend's like, she's 76, you know, and they got Glenn Matlock on bass from the Sex Pistols and they got <laughs> Nels Klein with them. Right. And I'm like, OK, but I'm going to wait till I see reviews before I buy a ticket, which I, I feel I mean, terrible about. There, but there's there are songs like Call Me that she hasn't sounded good on for a long time. Exactly. Yeah. And I've seen her. I've seen, you know, they have burned me. Them and the cars have burned me live a couple times. Yeah, where I'm like, I get, I hear great reviews and I go, and it's like, what the hell is wrong, right? And uh, so I'm very cautious now. Yeah. Um, the one person who I thought was just going to be absolutely horrible live that was older that wasn't is, and surprise, you know, it's Iggy Pop, right? Oh yeah, just, right. <laughs> it's just like Iggy Pop's on like a planet of Iggy Pop. The other one, you know, I we saw Leonard Cohen. Uh, mm. on that last tour and he played for three hours and 20 minutes yeah and it's probably my top five concerts and that was another show that got smart they put him with a band like a like a full-on 10-piece band right and it really worked around what he was trying to do and yeah. his voice suited it um so i think you're really onto something when you talked about what they did with Anne Hart. i think you're i think you've hit it like completely spot on um you know, uh, Anthony, you mentioned earlier about uh, there there aren't hard and fast rules necessarily for a stopping point for these things. And that brought to mind Grace Slick. She basically imposed a hard and fast stopping point for herself. And yeah. she said in interviews leading up to that, it's just sad to watch rock stars older than 50 out on stage. And when she hit 50, she stopped. And you know, other than the occasional like guest appearance when Jefferson Starship rolls around in town or whatever, she has not performed. And, you know, she has another outlet for that. She's a painter and she has made quite a career as a visual artist, as a lot of these other people have done too. Paul Stanley has, has had a hell of a lot of success with painting 
And, uh, you know, and I think if these folks find another, it's, it's not the same as performing on stage in front of an arena full of people. But I think if you have that other creative outlet that fills your time and gives you meaning, you know, that's the way to do it. Transition into a new career. Yeah. You know, write I, novels. Do You know, I yeah. agree with that. I do think I appreciate that. And I love that she did that. I have one thought on when an artist says, okay, it's time to say goodbye. Mm. Unless you do exactly what Grace Slick said and set an arbitrary number and say, I'm retiring when I'm 50. <laughs> the chances are, if you decide you are going out to do a final farewell tour, you're probably already past it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Because <laughs> you've hit the realization of, I shouldn't be doing this anymore, but I've got to go and do one last hurrah for the fans or yeah. for my wallet or, you know, or, what have you. Yeah. Exactly. Or it's, to save my house from falling into the ocean off of a cliff, like people have said this Kate Bush situation. Yeah. You know. Which thankfully Stranger Things has come along and made running up that hill an enormous hit again. So like it was the number one song on iTunes that yesterday because of Stranger Things coming out. So that's awesome. I look forward, I look forward to its next go round in about five years' time. It seems to come back every five yeah. years, one reason or the other. There was a great cover of that a few years ago. Oh, there's been a number of them, but I remember, I know the one you're talking about. Phenomenal. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of other things that I want to get to super quick. Like we were talking about bands that still have it. Styx, uh, they've got a, a couple of, you know, like slightly younger uh, members. And, like, and by younger, I mean 50s. Tommy Shaw is 68. JY is 72. They're the only two like longstanding members still in it. But you you do not go to a, a Styx show you know, today, and it seemed any different than when you saw them in the 90s or the 80s. They still sing and play on that level that they always have. And I just don't know how in the hell they do it. Um, but the thing that I'm finding, and, and, I'm, and I'm bringing this up because it's just happened in the last two days. And this is either a solution to this whole situation, or it's utter blasphemy. I can't decide which it is. But it's the ABBA I don't know what even to call it. The virtual the, show. The avatars. The, as they're avatars, calling them. yeah. Uh, well, no, literally in the case of ABBA, it's the avatars. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I've got a friend uh, from the Doctor Who community who uh, is, who was at the first show and, you know, got to see the band because the band, uh, the four members of ABBA, came on stage at the end to, you know, wave to the audience or whatever. And he said that it was an unbelievable experience to watch this show, but he kept calling it the, the, the next evolution of live performance. It was such a great live performance. And I have a hard time with that. You can say that it was a, the next evolution of a concert experience, but it, I don't see any way that you can call it a live experience when every aspect of it is pre-recorded. And so yeah. it, it's a way for an artist to, you know, extend their, their 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 concert expiration date but does that satisfy the artist need to perform does that satisfy the audience's wish to have that interaction with the artist you know yeah it it feels a little um what's the word i'm looking for cash grabby i was gonna say lacking <laughs> in authenticity inauthentic uh, yeah yeah um you know, they they did that something similar 
with Dio Disciples. Yes. Where they brought a hologram of Ronnie James Dio out on the road with them. And yes. I mean, granted, Dio does not ha quite have the same uh, reach as ABBA do. But <laughs> in the end, they decided it just wasn't realistic enough for them to continue with and went back to having two sound alike singers. But um, they only but they only use the hologram on certain songs. Isn't that right? It that's wasn't true. Just... It's not an entire concert. Yeah, um, it is only select moments throughout the show. So... Yeah, and uh, honestly, I, I think something like what ABBA are doing, I would rather watch on TV than pay money to go to a show. Yeah, you know, and, if... and I've, you know, I've seen people talking about other artists who could do this sort of thing, and and you know, people who were like, I, w I hope Madonna like adopts this, you know, and and does something takes next level and all this kind of stuff but this is a specially built arena for this thing does that mean that this is the only place in the world that this show can happen it's not a tour that could go to any venue in america you know this is this is kind of like location locked and i mean other artists who develop this kind of show can certainly book that venue for that purpose but how do you make this something that is you know portable Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think too that you're going to eventually see, and I'm I'm going way out into the field here. I think eventually you're going to see a lot of these artists that are older with this hologram technology moving in directions like we're seeing with like the Van Gogh Live or the Gustav Klimt Light, and that you're sure. going to go and it's going to be like an experience where like there's a band or something, but there's going to be like holographs of the person behind them or something, right? Um, I think you're going to see something kind of like that. And it's all very showy and mm -hmm. short attention span. Perfect. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not a concert. Exactly. Exactly. It's an experience and it's a worthy experience, you know? Now, um, having said that, so, though, it's ABBA. So I, I would expect I no other band to try that and make it work except Daft, Daft Punk or ABBA. Those are the only two bands yeah. I would really trust to make that kind of work. Oh, I could totally see Madonna. If she had thought of this yeah. first, she would have done it. <laughs> yeah. But but still, I just don't see it as being a replacement for a true concert experience. I actually tried to get tickets for it. Yeah. Um, for when I was for when I'm gonna be over there next month, and they're already all sold out. And oh, I'm sure. Of course. I wanted it is. to take my mom because she was a big ABBA fan and did see ABBA live in the 70s. Gosh, that's um, awesome. She said they were terrible, by the way. She said they were a very, very disappointing concert experience. <laughs> um, so I kind of wanted to take her back and see if the avatars were actually better than the real thing. Right. Um, <laughs> oh, but yeah, man. It will be interesting to see if this does become more commonplace uh, yeah. over the years, particularly as you get bands retiring. I mean, maybe Kiss would do something similar. In, I could totally know, see that time. happening. Yeah, I could totally see that happening. And that's the sort of thing that I think that they could make work, you know? And if you if you think of um, seeing a Spider-Man movie and then going to see um, Into the Spider-Verse, which is mm -hmm. a completely different visual presentation of a Spider-Man story, that's the kind of thing that, that I think we're talking about here, where you can make something that's like, so like this big fantasy kind of experience in a way that could not be done, you know, in, a, in an arena maybe. But I think, I think it takes a special band to 
pull that kind of thing off. And I do think kids could do it. They can invest some of, I mean, come on, they have got the money and they want to make more money. So this is a way of extending the kiss brand. So I don't know. It just depends on if people want to see that from them. And what, what would be fun? So ABBA with their avatars have taken themselves at a point in time, right? And visualized exactly. themselves as being younger. I think the next evolution would be to do a kind of through the years. So you right. you know, you, you take each band and have them look like particularly for a band that's so visual like mm-hmm. Kiss, you could yeah. do some earlier songs with them in full makeup and then the next yep. song, the makeup melts off. <laughs> Right on the visualization and they're playing <laughs> right something on. from their unmasked era. Right on. I'm I'm there for it. I'm ready to do it. I'm ready to see it right now. Let's go. Kiss, get on it. I mean, I know you got to finish your current tour, but you know, once you're done with the, that. There's one other band, Alan. You you gave a shout out to Sticks is still having it. I want to give a shout out to Iron Maiden for the same thing. They're in there. Absolutely. Oh. And yeah, Bruce is 63. He's had yep. throat surgery for throat cancer, and yep. he still sounds amazing. It's yeah. ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Um, I don't understand how they do it. You watch the live show, and Yannick is still there, prancing around like an absolute fucking ponce. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they they still have it. They still have the energy, and I think that's really what matters. Bruce can hit the notes, and the rest of the band can still do what they do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Still an so, amazing experience. I realize we are at the one hour mark, so we're yeah. pretty much coming to the end of this. So to recap, unless you're Grace Slick, there is no <laughs> specific answer to how old is too old. It's kind of something that I think has to be a decision made by the band, the artist, and to some extent the fans. If you, as the fans, know, well, I used to really love Kiss, but they... They're, they've been going downhill for several tours now. Don't go and see them. Right. Just stop. Right. The reason these bands are still going out, even though they're past it, is because they're still making money off of it. And if you yep. as the fan base stop going to see them because they're not good anymore, they'll stop going out. <laughs> That's right. So we've we've rambled and we haven't entirely <laughs> got to an answer but i hope everyone out there dear listeners you have enjoyed our somewhat meandering conversation and somewhat taken this as a who to see who not to see um and you know be open to new experiences i i did want to give the avatars a try maybe they'll be around in the future who knows well they'll never age so you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right, Alan, um, what are we doing next time? Well, next week, as long as all plans go as planned, we will have uh, Stephanie Seymour with us again, and we are going to be talking about girl groups. Woo! I know, right? Thanks, Anthony, for a really, really interesting topic that I've been waiting for us to get into. Uh, We'll be back next week. So till then, Rob, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, so you can find me uh, on all things related to needcoffee.com and also the Weekend Justice podcast and also through uh, my radio show on KDHX. Uh, it's called Juxtaposition. That's Wednesdays from 7 to 9 Central. Um, streaming online for two weeks. Every show is archived for two weeks. Uh, so you can find that that way. Awesome. Anthony. 
You can also find me on the Watchers in the Fourth Dimension podcast, which is a Doctor Who podcast in which we are watching our way through the entire show from 1963 until now. We have just come to the end of season 10 and we'll be starting on season 11 very soon. So the very tail end of the John Pertwee era. And as always, you can find us in all of the usual places, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, etc 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 so if you're a doctor who fan please do check us out alan how about you where else can we find you i have another podcast that is called earth station trek and it is a star trek thing and we are currently reviewing each new episode of the newest star trek show strange new worlds which we're all loving like crazy so come check us out and I've got a publishing company called Cosmic Press, and you can find it at CosmicPress.com or on Facebook or on Twitter. All right, so we will be back in a week. For the listeners, thanks for tuning in. Hope you'll be with us again next week. And until then, have a great week. Spread love. Do good. Keep rocking. And we'll see you soon. Thanks, everyone. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.